Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church, where this community, known as Kensington Unitarians, has its spiritual home. I think the fact that we sit in a circular way like this says a lot about this community. Everyone is welcome to our services. The equality of all is an important principle for us as Unitarians, and we invite everyone to be as fully involved in the life of our community as they wish to be. This is a time and a space for worship. It can be a time in the midst of life's hustle and bustle to take a breath, to take stock, to turn inwards for a while. So let's take that moment now, all of us, to perhaps let go of or place to one side the world outside, to centre and focus ourselves, grateful for the sense of community that comes from being together here in this circular shape, connected as we are by our shared humanity, each of us on our own path in that shared journey that is life. A few opening words. In this familiar place, listen to the sounds of breathing, creaking doors and chairs, shuffling feet and clearing throats, knowing that each breath, each movement, holds a life within it. These are signs that we choose to be in this company, that we perhaps have things to say to each other. Our doors may be closed, but they are not locked. Each silent thing is waiting on the threshold between unknowing and knowing. Find the silence among these people and listen to it all. Breathing, movement, perhaps aware of tears that haven't yet reached our eyes. Perhaps they are your own. Hear also that inner laughter building deep where joy abides despite everything. Listen and rejoice. Welcome to you all. Each week we light this chalice flame as a symbol of our liberal faith. A faith of freedom that allows people to be themselves. A faith of freedom that encourages people to ask their own questions and seek their own answers. A faith of freedom that supports people in being the best that they can possibly be. Each of us finding our gifts and using them for the good of all. If this chalice represents our Unitarian faith, then let us be the flame, particularly on days when it doesn't want to light. And may we then be the ones who spread its warmth and its light in the way that we live our lives. This service is um, about ceremonies, rituals, and I found this lovely reading by Robert Fulgham, 
if you've not met his his writing, he's a he's a Unitarian Universalist, and he manages sometimes, I think, to really put his finger on what it is to be human. And after at the end of this book of his, from beginning to end, the rituals of our lives, he describes um, meeting a man who lives in his area, and. Um, Every evening, he meets him walking both his old dog and his recently acquired puppy. They live in the same area, in the same neighbourhood. You can almost set your clock, he writes, by his reliable rhythm, coming by at 10 and going back by 10.30. Winter, summer, spring or autumn, rain or snow, clouds or starshine, he walks the dogs. Nothing dramatic here. Just an ordinary man, ordinary dogs, ordinary walk. And um, he spoke to him about this ritual. And he said that the dogs keep him doing something important for himself. The, the old dog finds his leash every evening and stands by the door waiting. And the puppy bounces around with enthusiasm. And Sam, the man himself, is compelled by a need for what he tells his wife is some fresh air. And whatever he calls it, she understands where he's going and why. And while he is out of the house, she will do the dishes. It's a sacred habit, a reflective time alone. Sam says that on these walks, he settles the affairs of the day and thinks about tomorrow. He calms down from the busyness of his life. He notices the weather, the seasons, the trees and the stars. He even thinks about the big stuff. He's watched the essential evening news on the television, but now he allows it to settle within himself and the greater world. When my neighbour walks the dogs, writes Robert Fulgham, he performs a ritual act of sacer simplicitus, to use the church Latin, Sacred simplicity. Walking the dog is in truth a ritual of renewal and revival on an intimate scale, a small rebirth of well-being on a daily basis. Several years ago, Sam spent weeks at the bedside of a close friend who was near the end of his life. He was a man who had many regrets. He said that if only he'd known death was so near, he wouldn't have rushed to meet it. And when asked what he would have done differently, he thought for a long time, and then he said something surprising. For one thing, he would have taken time to walk the dog. And that makes me think what the equivalent of walking the dog would be in my life. I don't know about you. And then the book ends. There is indeed a time for all things under heaven and for all the great rites of passage. Weddings and funerals, graduations and retirements, a time for anniversaries and reunions, for sunrise and sundown, for moon and rain and stars, a time for the first breath and the last. But in the meantime, there is the infinite moment, a time to do the dishes and a time to walk the dogs. Lovely words, I think, from uh, Robert uh, Fulgham. This is a baptism by Robert R. Walsh from his work Noisy Stones. She called to ask if I would baptize her infant son. 
I said, what we do is like a baptism, but not exactly. And we normally do it only for people who are part of the church family. The next one we have is in May. She said, could we come to talk with you about it anyway? And so they came to see me, the very young woman and her child, and the child's very young father. She explained that the child had been born with a heart defect. He had to have a risky heart operation soon. She had asked the clergyman of her own church if he would baptize her son, and he had refused because she was not married to the baby's father. I told them not being married would not be an impediment to anything we might do, but that our child dedication ceremony might not be what they are looking for. I explained that our ceremony does not wash away sin. It does not guarantee the child a place in heaven. It doesn't even make the child a member of the church. In fact, I said, it doesn't change the child at all. What we expect is that it will change the rest of us in our relationship with the child and with all children. She listened patiently. When I was through, she said, All I want is to know that God blesses my baby. In my mind, I gasped at the sudden clarity in the room. I said, with a catch in my throat, I think I can do that. And I did. Well, this week we have had Unitarians and many others joining together to celebrate outside the Houses of Parliament. And the reason, as Tristan told us earlier on, on Wednesday, royal assent was given to the Marriage Same-Sex Couples Bill, which means that next summer, same-sex couples in England and Wales could be getting married here in Essex Church or one of the many other venues around the country that are available to them. Our General Assembly uh, Chief Officer, Derek McCauley, deserves much praise for his quiet determination in achieving this goal, working as he did alongside the Quakers and the Liberal Reform Jews, all of whom felt that once civil partnership legislation was in place, same-sex marriage was the next important step along the road of equality for all. Um, I'm quoting Derek um, from his uh, press release this week. He said that we would congratulate members of all political parties in both houses of parliament who have steadfastly supported equal marriage. To our opponents, we say that your fears will be groundless. We are pleased that parliament accepted our arguments that those faith groups who wished to host same-sex marriages should be able to do so. Religious freedom meant the right to say yes as well as to say no. So churches can opt in to offering this. Now, as befits a liberal organisation such as ours, we don't all agree with him. And I suspect even here today there will be people who are going, oh, I'm not sure, for one reason or another. Marriage law, you may or may not know, in this country is very complex 
Personally, I wanted other changes too, so here's my list of complaints. You still cannot have a wedding ceremony with any religious or spiritual content if you get married in a secular setting in this country, such as a hotel. And I have even heard of registrars who've quibbled about the use of the word love in a certain context because they thought it might have spiritual meaning to it. I find that strange. And unlike Scotland, you can't get married in the open air here in England and Wales. And I have always loved the idea of doing a ceremony in some very wild and beautiful place. So, okay, you know, I'd have to go and live in Scotland and be a celebrant there if I want to do a marriage in the middle of a stone circle, for example. But these are minor quibbles, and I am too celebrating It's actually just a coincidence that I'd chosen um, today's theme for um, this service as one in which we would be exploring how Unitarians create unique ceremonies for people to mark the changing stages of their lives. Rites of passage, as they're called. And this does provide a perfect opportunity for us to blow our own trumpet a bit. And if you're ever you know, caught in a corner at a party and somebody says, oh, you go to church, you know, what kind of church do you go to? Well, you can tell them all these bits. These are, I think, things to be proud of. Since the early 1970s, some of our ministers have been providing blessings for same-sex relationships And our General Assembly has passed all sorts of resolutions supporting equality in all areas of life. We've long been known as a church that will marry people who have been divorced, as well as people from different religious backgrounds, and including those religious elements in our services. And we're also willing to create more unusual ceremonies for people, recognising a divorce perhaps, welcoming an adopted or a fostered child into a family, saying farewell to a much-loved pet, blessing a house, renewing people's wedding vows. There are many possibilities, aren't there? Many different types of ceremony. I mentioned earlier that that term, rite of passage. This, This came from the world of anthropology. The anthropologist Van Goetz coined this term, uh, rite of passage. It was in French originally, and I can't say it in French. But it means the actions that you take to show a passing through one way of being into another. This is a time of transition. Anthropologists and others use the wonderful word liminal, a liminal state, because in... in, um, ancient societies, this would have been seen as a dangerous time for a person, where, for example, they were going from childhood to adulthood. And the rite of passage is created by the community in order to hold them in this state of transition, in this liminal state. You might see this as actually a very early form of therapy, a therapeutic way for human beings to deal with the anxiety that change and separation bring us. When I um, conduct a, a child blessing here, I will often say that since ancient times and in all corners of the world, families have brought their children to a special place to celebrate with family and friends the birth of a new child. And it really is true that such ceremonies have been conducted since ancient times. 
Certainly weddings and funerals, there are very early signs that human beings conducted these. And it, it's said to be one of the signs of the change to a human species that we honoured our dead in some way. I've often taught this subject with school children, and at this point, the knowledgeable ones quickly point out that sometimes elephants and apes will mark the death of one of their community. They're clearly aware that something has happened. They will attempt to cover the body with leaves in some way. And they seem to, they seem to mourn. But I think we can mostly claim that it is a human response to change, that we create a ceremony in some way around it. I've been um, working recently studying systems theory as it can be applied to congregations and, and religious communities' lives. And one of the interesting things that systems theory points out is that how people create their ceremonies can be a very healing process for them if you do it in a conscious way. The minister or the celebrant at that point is ideally a calm, non-anxious presence who manages to hold the community as they all do their stuff. If you've been involved with many weddings and the like, you will perhaps know some of those stories of we cannot possibly invite auntie so-and-so or who on earth is going to walk me down my, the aisle because I have a dad and a stepfather. I don't know what to do. Or should we really choose that middle name for our child because it belonged to great-grandfather Archibald? Whatever the stories, you will have them in your own life. And there are, I think particularly when it comes to funerals, painful issues will emerge. All the more important, I think, then, to have a a ceremony that truly expresses the unique features of the system or the community who are gathering together. I, I found some of the most painful funerals that I've ever attended were ones where the celebrant clearly did not know the deceased or the family and had made no effort to make a relationship. They were just prepared to do their usual ceremony and that would be sufficient. I think the other thing is the lack of guidance that we sometimes see people receiving for their ceremonies. I, I once um, had to attend the funeral of a 15-year-old who died suddenly. And the funeral director had suggested singing All Things Bright and Beautiful, and it was such an inappropriate hymn for the 200 people who'd been gathered in the room that day. Life did not look bright and beautiful that morning, and that is for sure. Often in a funeral service, I'll ask the family if they would like to hear words from the book of Ecclesiastes. You'll know those verses that begin, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. And so it goes on. These ancient words, for me, express the cycle of life. And they remind me of my mum's saying, which is the title of today's service. It's all part of life's rich pattern, Sarah, generally said when something ghastly had just occurred. And what she was gently reminding me was that thing we know well, that lots happens in life. 
good and bad, and all that lies in between. Life happens, and then we humans respond to it. And I think one of our ways of responding is in planning events, ceremonies, celebrations that bring people together, that assert once more the value of being in community with one another. By marking those times of transition, we help each other make sense of what has occurred. And I think we know ourselves once more to be part of the great stream of life. Amen. And so, may the love which overcomes all differences, which heals all wounds, which puts to flight all fears, which reconciles all who are separated, be in us and among us, now and always. Amen. Go well and blessed be.